You're listening to Run, R-U-N, Revive Us Now podcast with Steve Gray. As pastor of the Smithton Outpouring and the Kansas City Revival, Steve is a leading voice of revival worldwide. Steve shares his life-changing encounters with God, along with biblical teaching that equips you to experience and lead lasting revival. Come, run with Steve and expect God to revive us now. Well, hello, everyone. I am Steve Gray, your host on this podcast, where we try and attempt to talk about everything revival and to explore every hindrance, uh, every clue that we can find that will help bring the power and glory of God to break through the heavens and come down and rescue us in our personal lives, our corporate church lives, our nation, and the world. We want to see God revive us now, and we need revival. Thank the Lord for so many coming forth nowadays saying we need a fresh move of God. And today we're going to talk about that, one of the hindrances to revival that is easily missed. And we're eventually going to end up uh, over into the book of Revelation, where we can talk about the, the first chapter of Revelation. There's a great clue of what we're looking for, what we're calling upon, and what we need to happen. Uh, but before we get there, I'm actually going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and and start on a little bit lower level, helping us understand what might be happening to us, what might have happened to us that might be hindering revival in this generation, in our lifetime, which is exactly what we need and what we want to see happen. But God, help us. Help us to explore, help us to see, and give us clues to what we can do to increase the power and presence of God in our lives, in our churches, in our nation, and of course, around the world. So in 2 Corinthians chapter Eleven. It starts with the very first verse with Paul saying he wants to talk to us in a little bit of foolishness. Now that's deceptive because then you think, well, the next line must be some kind of foolishness. But what it is in the entire chapter, he's going to boast about his sufferings. He's going to talk about himself and, and, and compare him to the super apostles. And to him, that's foolishness. He's just not into talking about himself and comparing himself. But when he begins to talk at the very beginning, this is not foolishness. When he says, I am, verse 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. That's not foolishness. We already know jealousy is part of the kingdom of God. God is a jealous God. So we're not in foreign territory here. And he says, I promised you, and I, I he's talking to the the people he's raised up, the Christians he's raised up, I promised you uh, to one husband, to Christ the Messiah, so that I might present you as a pure virgin or a pure bride to him. Okay, so that's the basis. That's what's going on. That's what Paul's doing, and that's what he wants to do. That's what we want to do. We want to have a spotless, pure bride church that we can present to Jesus Christ. Okay, but here's his concern. He says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's not foolishness either, and it's a big concern. We know the story of Eve, okay? Adam, Eve, Garden of Eden, and how she was deceived by the serpent's trickery, by the serpent's cunning. And he says, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that your minds 
might somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So that tells us, what is this about? Where's the battle lines? That was the battle line with Eve. That was the battle line in the Garden of Eden was pure and sincere devotion to what they knew about God, the Word of God, uh, what God said to do, what He said not to do. And they were led astray, and, and she was deceived. And he says, so I'm concerned that your minds might be led astray from pure and sincere what? devotion. So here's where we're at when we want to talk about having a fresh move of God, God breaking up the heavens and coming down in this what we call revival, where he comes and revives the people of God and brings new life, new glory, new presence. We just come alive with the glory of God. And we want to know how can that happen? What's hindering that? And he says, devotion, pure, sincere devotion. When you go back and you study revivals, great outbreaks and outpourings of the power of God, you'll find there's always a somebody or somebodies that had this tremendous, sincere, and pure devotion focused on the move of God, the reviving power of God, and they would pray it, and they would live it, and they would preach it, and their devotion and that's what we admired. I mean, God can do anything he wants to do, but what was so fantastic was finding these people through history that had such a devotion to Jesus Christ, and they stayed right on it. And so that's the battle line for you, for me, for our church today, is getting us off of sincere and pure devotion. And this devotion, you know, it doesn't have to do with church attendance, although I'm a big believer in church attendance. Bible reading, my goodness, am I a believer in reading your Bible? Yeah, but all those things can be done without really a devotion, a pure and sincere devotion. That's where the battle is, to, to get your loyalty, to get your devotion while you're still going through the motions. Possibly that's what happens until we say, we've got to have revival. We've, we've come to the point of just going through the motions. We've got to get our devotion back. But is it the cart before the horse? Do you get your devotion back and then you have an outbreak? Or do you have an outbreak and it causes devotion? Well, the answer is both. But somebody has to get hungry for the Spirit of God to move in such magnitude, such unimaginable power and glory, which, which we have seen in my lifetime, I've seen in the past in revivals that have happened during my lifetime. And we've seen such an outpouring and such a glory. It's just unimaginable what we saw and what we experienced through those years of revival that now we want to come and say, what can we do? We want to get our devotion back so that we are praying those pure and sincere prayers. So somebody's got to be triggered. Somebody's got to decide this is what we've got to have and set their sights on that. And they're not going to move until God comes down and revives his church, revives our nation, revives his people. So it starts with devotion. Somebody's got to be devoted. All right, so we've got to get that back. Now, here's the symptoms that he's concerned about. He says, here's what I'm concerned about. If someone comes to you and preaches another Jesus or a, a, a Jesus other than the one that Paul preached, if someone comes and preaches another Jesus, he's concerned about that. Now, is there another Jesus? Well, of course not. There is no other Jesus, but another Jesus can be preached. And Paul is concerned that they would fall for it. They would receive it. He doesn't just start 
talking about another Jesus, he keeps going. Jesus is the one we preach. Or if you have a different spirit or another spirit preached to you, or another gospel or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. In other words, you fall for it. He's concerned that they would fall for another Jesus, another spirit, or another gospel. Not that there is another gospel, or there is another spirit, or there is another Jesus, but people preach one that does not truly exist or is not the real Jesus of our day. And Paul got concerned way back then. Paul was concerned that they would fall for that. I'm concerned that people will fall for it. You need to be concerned that people will fall for it. But most of all, realize that the key to it is preaching the real Jesus. We got to preach the real Jesus. And so that's that's a one that we need to start getting a hold of and not being afraid of. Well, what are you talking about be afraid of? Well, first of all, in my opinion, there is the commercialized Jesus. That's the one everybody thinks they know. That's the one you go to work and everybody at work or all your relatives around the holiday times or holiday table or whatever, they all know. You know, they'll tell you right away what God's thinking. They'll tell you what Jesus is thinking. They tell you what Jesus would do. They know Jesus, and yet they don't read their Bible. They don't follow his ways, but they know Jesus. That's the commercialized one. That's the one everybody thinks they know. There's the humanistic Jesus, that it's all about me, all about my, all about who I am and 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 how I feel, and it's sort of the Jesus following us around, um, taking care of us and making sure we're okay and making sure we feel okay. And it's kind of the humanistic, it's all about me, uh, Jesus. So we've got the commercialized Jesus, we've got the humanized Jesus, and and uh, we got the very religious Jesus, you know, and uh, that's pounding people on the head with, with uh, they're, they're never going to be good enough, and all these kinds of things that are going on. Well, what about the real Jesus? Who is the real Jesus? And if we could find the real Jesus, we'd know which one we're calling on. But more than that, We'd know when he showed up, or we'd know when he didn't show up. We'd know when it's him. We'd know when it's not him. And I know that all of us get weary of a church service where somebody just blatantly announces, oh, God's in the house, or Jesus is in the house. And and you go, well, this is the creator of the universe. Jesus is here somewhere, and there's no sign of him anywhere. There's no action. There's no sign. There's no manifestation. Okay, so you get the point. That's what we want to see. We want to see the manifested Jesus, the glory of God, the presence of God. And so here he says, if someone comes and preaches to you another Jesus. So what I see today, and what I, I called it is the snuggle Jesus. I don't, that's not scriptural. That's just me. We got to, you know, there's so many people talking today, over 20 years they've been doing it, but really over the last 10 years or so, talking about, you know, they sing a song or they preach a sermon or whatever, and they're talking about crawling up into the lap of Daddy Jesus or Daddy God or whatever. And I call it the snuggle Jesus. And the snuggle Jesus is, is one that we invent for ourselves or also, we have the personal Jesus, and that's when people make up a Jesus that fits exactly who they are. In other words, that Jesus loves what you love. He loves the movies you love. He loves it. And, and you never upset this Jesus because this Jesus is just like you. In other words, we do the ultimate idolatry. We create a Jesus in our own image. 
We created Jesus in our own image, and then, of course, he likes everything we like. Of course, he's comfortable with us. You know, I, you know of course, he, he never corrects us because he's just like us, the one we invented. So, we have fallen for it. We preach them. We preach the humanized, the commercialized, the personalized Jesus. But what about the real Jesus? What about the real Jesus? And who is Jesus right now? Well, that's when we need to go back to Revelation chapter 1. Because in that, we have John, uh, the Apostle John, who, as you know, it says, I was in the Spirit, chapter 1, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard a voice behind him that sounded like a trumpet. It sounded like a trumpet. And he wanted to know, and it says he turned around to see the voice. So (laughs) that's hard to describe how he would hear and see, and he wants to see what it is behind him. But he turns around, and wow, there he encounters the real Jesus. Now, this is important because twice we already have in that chapter chapter 1, twice we have Jesus described as the God who was, is, and is to come. Now, the God who was, as in the past, I can't go there. I can't go to the God who was. I can believe in him. I have faith in him. I believe the words of him, all that kind of stuff. The God who is, yeah, uh, that's the one I want to find out. And then, of course, we all look for the God who is to come. Well, that's revival. I mean, that is. Jesus is who he is right now, but we want him to come. We want him to come to us in a visitation, revival visitation, revival habitation. We want him to manifest his glory among us. We want him to come down and fire whatever words we use, human words, to to describe the glory presence of the reviving power of God that changes, transpires, changes a neighborhood, changes a denomination, changes a local congregation, changes a nation. Whatever it does, we want to see that, and we're coming to the point where more and more people are preaching, we've got to have this. All right. So, so John is there. He's in the Spirit. We know that. He hears the sound, and he turns around to see, and guess what he saw? He said, I saw something like the Son of Man. Well, that's good news to us, because anytime you hear the word Son of Man, that means the re- it's, it's connected to humanity. He's the son of man. It's just not the son of God. He's a faraway God or he's the the deity God. No, he's the son of man who is associating himself with our humanity. He said, I turned around. I saw someone like the son of man. Remember, the book of Daniel mentions that when they mentioned the the, the, the son of man in the, in the fiery furnace. There's one that looks like the son of man in there. Representation, representing humanity. And, and, then, and, then he, and then John, he says some more words. And he says, and he had a large robe on him all the way down and went all the way down and a golden sash across his chest. His hair was like wool, white, pure white like wool and his eyes were blazing fire his feet were glowing like bronze that had been in a furnace and the sound that he heard the sound of his voice was like rushing waters and his mouth was looked like a sword was coming out of his mouth a two-edged sword was coming out of his mouth and his face shone 
like the sun. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's the Jesus who is. No, that's not the Jesus who was. He's not the Jesus in the manger. He's not the Jesus walking along the shores of Galilee or the shepherd Jesus carrying. You see all the pictures of him carrying a sheep on his shoulders. That's who he was, but that's not who he is. He was, he is, and he is to come. So if we want Jesus to come in his power, anointing, revive us, give us life again, start a great awakening, those would be the people that... Uh, a great awakening is when people are dead and they wake up from death and they become alive. Revived means you're half dead in that you need to, you you were alive. It's it's a picture, like I've said before, a person that's a drowning victim and you pull them in and they need you to give them, resuscitate them. And that's what God does. He comes in his power, reviving power. If you read about it, it was believers being resuscitated. And even as we see the people that count, you know, how many people were saved and all that, you'll find out the majority in our country that are really being revived because like they prayed the prayer when they were a kid or they went to Sunday school or whatever, and they're not opposed to God. They're just not alive to God. You know, they've just lost that devotion and the flame and all that. So, and the fire in their bones. And so revival comes to, to set us on fire so the world can watch us burn. And so here we have ourselves praying, oh Lord, revive us. And I heard a preacher the other day say, we need revival like we've never needed it before. I'm not going to argue with that. That's true, right? But uh, what kind of Jesus are we looking for here? Are we looking for the personalized, humanized, commercialized, or the real one, the on fire one, the real one. This is the one John saw, and he says, this is God who was, is, and the one that is to come. Well, I want him to come. I want him to come in my church, your church, nation, world. Wow, our generation, which one's going to come? How about the Jesus that he saw? This is the one that is to come, and if he comes, he's going to come like that. He's going to come. He's a, he, the robe, the sash, I mean, hair, white, blazing, fiery eyes, feet, and his sound like the rushing waters. You ever been to Niagara Falls? Kathy and I have been to Niagara Falls several times. And you just stand there next. It's not only massive just in size. It's massive in noise. The roar, the rushing of mighty waters. And you know, if you just think about it right now and, and read about heaven, you know, heaven's not anything like most of the Sunday morning church services you see around the neighborhood here and where they're so quiet and you don't say anything and nobody makes a noise and you sing a little song. But is that what heaven's like? I mean, if we're going to have a true outbreak of the power and presence of God, we better create or be ready for the atmosphere of heaven, and heaven is noisy, it's loud, it's it's just read about it for yourself. Now, I know there was a time when it got silence in heaven, wasn't it, for like 30 minutes or something like that. But other than that, I mean, it is loud, glorifying, powerful, and so we need to be ready for that. And so his, his the sound of his voice was like the rushing of mighty waters. So maybe in times past, he'd whisper in somebody's ears, all right, but are we going to make him a whisperer now? Or are we going to let him be the Jesus that's described in the book of Revelation who 
is to come. And his mouth, I mean, out of his mouth comes that two-edged sword, which is the word of God and his face shining like the sun. Well, when John saw the real Jesus, what did he do? He didn't crawl up in his lap. Nope. He didn't snuggle with him. No siree. It says, and I fell down as though dead. I fell down as though dead. Wow. And then Jesus says, don't be afraid. Now, why would Jesus say, don't be afraid? Because there was something in our natural self. There was something terrifying. There was something to be afraid of when you saw it. Now, maybe there wasn't anything to be afraid of when Jesus says, don't be afraid. But when you get a first glance, all this, that was the first reaction. I fell down as dead. And Jesus says, now, don't be afraid. Because he fell down as dead. And then Jesus says, wait a minute. You're not dead because I hold the keys to death and to Hades. Don't be afraid. And so that part's all good, but look at the Jesus that was there. Oh my, didn't snuggle to him. The only reaction humanity could have to the real Jesus was that we fall down as though dead until he picks us up or he lays his hands on us or he says, don't be afraid because there was something amazing, overwhelming. Can we say terrifying? I think we can if we put it in perspective if that wasn't the goal. The goal wasn't to be terrifying, but it is awesome, awesome God. And this is the God who was because that's who he is now and is and the one, if we're going to get him, he is going to be the one that is to come, the overwhelming Jesus. I remember I was telling the story. When I first became a believer and filled with the Holy Spirit, they told me, now don't worry, because I guess they were thinking I'd be afraid or something. You know, the Holy Spirit's always a gentleman. Now, that's not in the Bible, but when you plant that into people, they create the gentleman, whatever a gentleman is to you, the gentleman, Holy Spirit, the gentleman Jesus who opens the door for you, never says anything to bother you, always patting you on the back and saying, excuse me, and... <laughs> And all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, that's what I thought. And then when I experienced in the in 96 to 99 and 2008 and on, those revival moments and years and services and after service, wow, the power of God would come. And I described it even my wife, Kathy, who's not a big person. I saw the power of God lift her up off the floor and move her back five feet. Wham. And everybody there saw it. And I didn't touch her. Nobody touched her. I walked by, but nobody touched her. And bang, she hit the floor and shouted out a shout of power, a shout of glory when she hit the ground. Well, I don't know if a gentleman would do that or not. At least the gentleman I had invented in my mind wouldn't. But that's the God we serve. So today, we want to make sure that we're ready for the real Jesus. I want Jesus to be Jesus, don't you? We don't want to tell him who to be. We don't want to have him, you know, fix it so we won't be nervous and so it'll be the Jesus we expect. Let him be who he is. Let him come in power. Let him come with blazing eyes, the sword of the word of God. Oh my, I want to see the real Jesus come into our churches, our lives, our homes, our children, our marriages, right? our nation, and our world. Let's have revival and may God restore us and revive us again in Jesus' name. Well, until next time, this is Steve Gray saying bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Revive Us Now podcast with Steve Gray. Push the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode and spread the word on social media. For more episodes and resources, go to reviveusnowpodcast.com. Until next time, keep on running for revival.